In a land of myth and a time of magic, the destiny of a great kingdom rests on the shoulders of a young boy. His name, Merlin. Merlin! (laughs) (laughs) Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, everyone. Welcome back to Collateral Creatives, the show where we go into content that's not necessarily Christian so that we can find a gospel message or characteristic of God, even when it seems like you won't be able to find one at all. I'm your host, Austin Murphy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Cheyenne Wyatt. And today we're going to be going into what I think is one of the best shows ever made. Uh, Merlin, a show that is following, uh, you know, the, the legendary sorcerer Merlin, but before he was old and bearded and all powerful and such. Yeah, no pointy hat or long beard for him. Nope. See, Merlin is a fantastic show for for many different reasons, and we wanted to pull it up uh, for today's episode mostly because it's it's a good representation of. I think some of the things that we had covered in the previous episode with Harry Potter. Yeah, it's a good follow-up. Yeah, and especially since this is a TV show, this is not like a movie or a book series, you can only get this by going and watching the show, which I think right now it's currently on Netflix. Yes, it is still on Netflix. My mom started watching it. (laughs) Um, And she's hooked, isn't she? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty easy for her to get into shows, though, because a lot of the time she just turns them on for background noise, and then Mm. she's like, actually, I really like this show, (laughs) and she's like two seasons in, and it's like, do you even remember what happened in the first season? You were folding the laundry and not listening at all, Um, so it's really fun. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Merlin itself, uh, the show is based very much so on uh, Arthurian legends. So, you know, King Arthur. As you would expect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's it's basically trying to grow the relationship that King Arthur and Merlin had. Yeah, it explores it. Yeah, because it starts with Merlin being Prince Arthur's servant. Uh, back when magic is outlawed and you'll be killed and executed if you were exposed as a sorcerer. Um, and so Merlin moves to Camelot to find uh, a new calling in life, but he can't expose that he has magic. So as the servant for Prince Arthur, it, it gets complicated and difficult in that way. Yeah, because there's uh, this dragon that's locked under the city, which sounds weird, but makes sense mm-hmm. <laughs> um, within the world of the show. Uh, that's like, hey, just so you know, you're actually supposed to be like best friends with Arthur and protect him and stuff. And Merlin is like, no, I hate that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They get into fights and stuff um, during the first encounters that they have with each other, but eventually do become pretty good friends over the course of the series. Mm -hmm. And anyway, so the dragon's like, listen, you need to protect this guy. He's he's important your destiny is to make sure that he becomes the king that he's supposed to be and merlin's like uh this is not (laughs) what i signed up for the once and future king what (laughs) yeah basically he's like i I did not sign up for this destiny can i return it uh Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) and it's i think that's where a lot of the humor in the show comes from Mm -hmm. because Well, yes, there's a lot of tension because of Merlin's innate magic. He didn't study uh, magic to attain it, which is typical in the world. Usually you have to read a book to get magic. He was born with his magic, so that's 
part of his interesting context and circumstances around who he is. Anyway, even though there's tension with all of that and like him maybe being exposed or uh, there being other sorcerers who show up in town and have shenanigans happen with them, uh, or there are shenanigans that happen with them, uh, there's also so many funny things that happen because he's trying to keep his secret or because Mm -hmm. he is the servant of Arthur yeah, and he just has a really unique position in the court and I think that's part of what makes the show so great. Oh yeah. There's this running joke that um, he goes to the tavern all the time Uh (laughs) because uh, he needs to go and do something magic uh, (laughs) to save the day. And he's like, okay, I'm going to go do this magic thing. But Gaius, the guy that he stays with, who's aware that he has magic, all of this stuff. um, He's like, okay, but Gaius, don't tell Arthur where I am. Otherwise, it would cause problems. And Gaius is like, okay. And then he's like, and don't tell him I went to the tavern like you did last time. And then Arthur shows up. He's like, where's Merlin? I need him to do X, Y, (laughs) Z. Because uh, he's his servant. And Gaius is like, uh, he's in the tavern. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole lot of really interesting concepts brought up with the idea of sorcery, especially given, like, aside from the fact that he was born with magic, another thing that makes Merlin very unique is that he doesn't need to say incantations to do specific magic. He can just kind of think it and it will happen uh, as represented by a neat little piece of CGI that makes his eyes flash orange. Um, Yeah, it's kind of like this gold color almost. Yeah, and there are certain characters that are aware of Merlin's power and uh, who he will become and Merlin is just sitting here like, why don't I know these things? So- <laughs> <laughs> no one informed me. I've just been here. And the show itself, uh, obviously we can't summarize the entire story here because it went on from 2009 to 2012. And that's a lot of... A lot There's of like five episodes. seasons. Yeah, it has a lot of show and like a lot of episodes. And so... Um, we can summarize a few of the important bits, a few of the things that make Merlin really impressive in terms of uh, in terms of TV, at least, and also, of course, how we can get something out of this as you know, listeners of Collateral Creatives. Um, but before we go into all that, I kind of wanted to go into how the show was made because it has an interesting history and it has a very interesting way of which they actually like made the show because of course, if you're going to make a Arthurian tale, you need to make sure that you have a castle because you need to be able to shoot in a castle that is real. Cause if you don't shoot in a real castle, it's just not going to have the same magic. So they actually went to France to find a castle that I'm going to hope that I nail this, uh, the Chateau de Perrefons. <laughs> um, uh, I think that's Pierre Fons, but still, anyway. Um, Insert French noises here. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and it's a castle. It's a really nice castle, and so pretty. It's beautiful, uh, and in all of the scenes that they have inside of the castle or in the courtyard or anything like that, it's all inside of that castle. Um, 
and in like for scenes that it's like surrounding areas and forests and all that they just picked random forests to put our characters in because those are all developed land by this time by this point but the castle itself is gorgeous and i'm very happy that they used for that yeah um so other than that the show's very interesting origin story is because it kind of came around from the uh from the minds that were behind doctor who um the chief writer for Doctor Who was a major influence for the tone and style of Merlin. Uh, he helped shape a lot of what made Merlin so unique in terms of visuals and storytelling because he's already really good at that. <laughs> so Russell T. Davies. Yeah. Um, he, he was with know. the David Tennant era mm-hmm. of Doctor Who primarily. Yep. Um, they got together with uh, with certain scholars and a medievalist named Dr. Mark Faulkner, uh, and they basically just got to work writing up a script, coming up with this idea of, uh, all right, what if Merlin was young? What if we told that story? How would all of these different fairy tales tie into this one single show? Because they do a lot of fairy tales in one single season. Um, so they they try to figure out how to make it, as impressive as possible, mostly because they had primary competition with Doctor Who. They needed to make sure that while Doctor Who was running, people would still be watching Merlin. (laughs) So Merlin went through uh, quite a few different iterations until eventually they landed on the idea of Merlin just being a farmhand and then moving to Camelot to find his future, only then to stumble across Prince Arthur, who wasn't even Prince yet. And then, well, it wasn't even king yet. He wasn't crowned prince either. Oh, uh, oh, true. Yeah, yeah. It, it that happened like halfway through season one, where he finally got crowned prince. Yeah. <laughs> so like Merlin finally gets a, a chance, but he's not very happy about the chance that he was given because Arthur is a little bit of a jerk starting off. <laughs> Lots of insults are thrown around. Yeah, Arthur goes through a lot of character progression in yeah, that show. But that's really rewarding. Exactly. So. Merlin in general, uh, what's kind of funny is that it kind of left a little bit of a legacy as well, because there are so many actors that came in for Merlin that have kind of skyrocketed since then. Uh, I think the most popular one, the most like successful one out of all of them, strangely enough, is uh, Tom Hopper. He played one of the Knights of the Round Table named Sir Percival, um, and he is currently... The guy who's legally not are allowed to wear sleeves yeah <laughs> and he's he's basically he right now he's doing uh umbrella academy which is another interesting show to say the least i i'm, I'm still back and forth on whether or not i like it but uh aside from that what's fascinating to me is that the that's not the only thing that we get in terms of the umbrella uh, the umbrella academy coming over from Merlin because the guy who directed most of the show also is directing Umbrella Academy. So essentially the 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 success of Merlin led to the success of a lot of other productions, mostly because Merlin was just a resounding success from start to finish. Um, and while it did tell its story really well, and it had a somewhat satisfying conclusion. Some people are unhappy with it. It would be really nice if it came back. <laughs> It does have a really good setup for a sequel. It does. It really does. Um, so for those of you who don't want to be spoiled right now, because we're going to go into a little bit of the plot here, uh, just feel free to just skip through until we're doing something else entirely. Otherwise, uh, there's going to be massive spoilers here. 
how come we can't get a modern day Merlin? <laughs> I, like, okay, so here's the thing. The show, the entire time, has... It starts from very low points. It starts with Camelot is facing some magic threats every now and then, and Merlin has to go through little misadventures to prevent them from somewhat harming the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Because at this point, Uther, Arthur's father, is still in charge. He's still king. And eventually Uther gets killed. And then Arthur gets crowned king. And that's when things get insane. That's when the Knights of the Round Table yeah, are formed. Like the build up to the Round Table is just so satisfying. Mm-hmm. The first episode with the Round Table, you're just like, yes, I've been waiting for this. And I didn't even necessarily realize I was. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's kind of what you think of when you think of King Arthur. Yeah. And, and then he's been a prince this whole time. <laughs> And and then by the end, uh, the serious plot twist happens where Arthur Mordred. Yeah, Arthur dies. <laughs> ah, and everything with Mordred. It's just the worst. And so you gotta feel for Mordred a little bit. But um, and then Merlin being sworn to await Arthur's return and take his place as the rightful king. Well, Merlin is an old guy, uh, and he's just sitting there waiting for Arthur to return and I think it would be a perfect time to make a sequel like a sequel series set in the modern age so that we could see how Arthur comes back the world doesn't need him yet how the kingship is supposed to be reacquired in modern society <laughs> take out Queen Elizabeth <laughs> like seriously I'm confused on all that so like I would love to have that show come back just because I want that I it's so it was so good for a sequel setup and it's not good as a contained ending to the show We're still waiting yeah um, and to that end the fact that Merlin is waiting for that long it's just one of the many different traits that you find within the show. You have loyalty, you have bravery, you have sacrifice, selflessness. There's so many positive things that are shown within the show. And I think that the most the most common response that you get when it comes to, let's say, having a conversation with another Christian about watching something like Merlin, it's like magic is the good guy. Because, you know, magic is supposed to be our enemy here mm-hmm. in the real world. And... It's, I know it's not the most excellent response, but it's, that's not our world. In our world, magic doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Magic is the only higher power. There is no other higher power above it. So if it was a show about our reality and we were trying to say that magic was stronger than God, then sure, that would be something. But if our God entered the Merlin reality, he would be the most powerful thing there, obviously. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and plus, it's not about what it is that they're using, like what it is that they can do. It's about what they're using that magic for, because there is good magic and there is bad magic. There are good sorcerers and there are bad sorcerers. So Merlin being one of the good ones, Morgana being one of the bad ones, and they constantly go back and forth. And Merlin is trying That's to say... That's a bit of a spoiler with Morgana. It's fine. We already said that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Merlin having to show that, you know, you can use your magic for things that are beneficial. You can help others. Yeah. You don't and have to destroy. There's beauty in the way that he does magic. He plays with it. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> like the one time he shapes like steam or smoke into like a horse. Yeah. And people are afraid of that because they're like, oh, that's magic. Mm-hmm. But... 
you're just playing with smoke. Yeah. Or he blows on the sparks um, of a fire and shapes it into a dragon. Yeah. Uh, which is harmless. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes that we're afraid of things that aren't harmful. Yeah. Especially when it comes to narrative storytelling. Mm-hmm. Because it's like what we've been trying to get at throughout this entire season of Collateral Creatives is that there are things that you can find within many pieces of media that maybe you don't want to agree with magic. Maybe you don't want to agree with having something other than God be the answer to everything. However, there are narrative comparisons and there are message comparisons that you can easily draw. The fact that Arthur was the chosen one of that universe, Jesus is the chosen one of ours. Yeah, he's like more than a chosen one, but yes. Yeah. (laughs) And the other things that Merlin usually brings up is things like, how do you be a good person? How do you take something like power and use it for the benefit of others? Yeah. It's teaching important lessons that you can actually also find within the scriptures and I think that's that's not by any surprise that's mostly since like the Bible is filled with so many different kinds of stories it's filled with many stories of kingdoms rise and fall of kingdoms the Mm -hmm. rise and fall of kings the death of so many leaders and how rebellions rise up and such and so when you have narratives like that where you can say this guy who gutted this king is the good guy. Yeah. (laughs) Like you got that guy and you're like, that's the good guy. I don't think it's about how the content is displayed. I think it's about what the meaning was behind that action, Mm -hmm. especially in terms of God. I think it also matters how a story is told because Merlin, I think tells its story in a really like accessible and respectful way like it doesn't try to force magic like it doesn't try to force your opinion on magic it Mm -hmm. lets you draw your own conclusions um it doesn't necessarily say who is good or bad yeah and there are times that merlin is tempted to use his magic for what we would consider bad things and there Mm -hmm. are consequences for that and i think that like depth of character is some (laughs) is something that you don't often find in a lot of shows um and kind of just like what you were saying and one of the things that uh we've been trying I'm gonna start over with what I was trying to say there. Do your thing. Uh (laughs) One of the reasons that we actually started this podcast was because of Merlin and an experience that we had watching it. Both of us have a lot of fondness for this show. Uh, Austin grew up watching it as it was coming out and then with me uh, I binged a lot of Netflix when uh, I first got my chronic illness Mm -hmm. uh, because that's what you do uh, when you're homesick from school and have finished all your homework and have nothing else to do because you feel terrible and bed is your friend. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so Merlin was one of those shows that I watched during that time. 
and during one of our open halls uh where we were able to like visit each other and stuff we were watching a couple episodes of merlin and um austin's roommate at the time which we're not gonna say his name just to be respectful and stuff (laughs) uh he came in and sort of watched for a few seconds and was like hey can we turn on something more edifying which okay like you know we're watching a show that has magic and stuff Mm -hmm. like that so we were respectful and changed it to a different show and we landed on the Samson movie oh gosh (laughs) which like I said I think it matters how a story is told because that Samson movie that we watched, I hadn't seen it before. Austin hadn't seen it before. Um, it wasn't a very biblically accurate movie. And not even a little bit. The, the moment that I saw oiled up Samson kill His like chest glistens. Yeah, kill like three thousand guys, but one of them survived. <laughs> I was like, uh. <laughs> Yeah, in a five-minute fight scene. I don't even think he had a donkey's job. He eventually got one. Okay, like halfway through the fight. Yeah, like, but at first he was just killing him with his bare hands. Yeah, like very <laughs> brutally. By the way, they showed a lot of it. Yeah, um, which uh, killing a bunch of people with a donkey's jawbone. Yes, that would be very brutal. And like, but that's that's the thing though. Here's like to your point of how a story is told. I think the most important aspects of Samson's story are the parts that don't involve him going and fighting. Like, the most important aspects of his story are those moments in between where we have to deal with his wisdom versus everything else in the world, basically. Yeah, and set in the context of the rest of the book of Judges as well. Yeah, like, we could have had it very simply have it be, like, he's standing there against the army, they're about to fight, they they just cut it, and they move on to the next scene, maybe Aftermath or something like that, because the fighting isn't important. Like, sure, you could turn Samson into an action film, but the Which story... Which is what they did. Basically. But the story is not an action story. Like, it has some action in it, but for the most part, it's just a man learning that whatever he wants in life is not as strong as God. Yeah. And so, with all of that, um, I think that's kind of when we really sort of solidified um, a lot of our thoughts about how, you know, there's a lot of media that you actually get really good morals from that's quote-unquote edifying Mm -hmm. uh, that people just look past and don't stop to consider. Because God places himself in everything. You can find relations, like, you can find relative information or relative stories that remind you very much of the Bible. And it's kind of happening all the time to me now. Like, I'm watching some sort of movie or a show or reading a book or something like that, and I'm like, that reminds me a whole lot of so-and-so passages. And it's fun that way, because you kind of start to see that there's quite a few writers that are actually inspired by the Bible. Yeah, well, and that used to be such a common thing where people uh, would make references to the Bible Mm -hmm. in the works of literature that they are writing. Um, And they still do that sometimes, I think, without realizing that they're 
making an allusion to the Bible mm-hmm. because it's just so embedded in culture now because Shakespeare <laughs> makes a ton of allusions to the Bible. Yeah. And so then people will make a reference to Shakespeare not knowing that Shakespeare <laughs> was referencing the Bible and the amount of biblical literacy and like the general population of the U.S. Mm-hmm. It, it it makes things really interesting sometimes. Uh, one of the shows that I was watching, it's an anime. Uh, Go back to episode five if you want to hear about that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it had a biblical illusion. Uh, they, just to like briefly summarize what happened, uh, it involves pirates and stuff. And they like blew up a ship and they were like, oh, why'd you do that? And the guy just uh, says a reference and goes below deck. And the reference is to uh, that sea or <laughs> is to that verse about uh, new wineskins mm. uh, and pouring old wine into new wineskins and stuff like that. And so with that, he was just saying like, if you have an old problem, you need to pour in a new solution essentially because otherwise it's not going to get solved and it was kind of clever because like you know when pouring in a new solution is what makes it burst yeah because new wine makes old wineskins burst and they made a ship blow up and so that's the wineskin bursting mm-hmm. and it's like okay that's actually a really clever reference to the bible and a bunch of people didn't get it and were like, oh, he's just insulting them for being alcoholic or stuff like that. And it's just like, yeah. no! <laughs> what? And so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, biblical literacy is really important for understanding media. Yes. I, I, I Very much so. I think probably one of the most important moments that I've had of actually being benefited by knowing scripture and interacting with media at one point I was challenged because I was listening to this song called Good Things Fall Apart by Elenium. And it's a good song and the message of it isn't entirely like it's not it's not you're not supposed to look at this guy like he's uh someone that you should be looking up to by any means. But basically he is saying that uh in the song he's trying to figure out what he's doing wrong and how he's supposed to get his girl back because she doesn't want him because he's been making mistakes, but he doesn't know what these mistakes are. And he just answers it with, I guess sometimes good things fall apart, and that's it. He doesn't grow at all. And someone challenged me on that and said, I won't get anything edifying out of it, that it's just, you shouldn't listen to it because it's just about this guy going to drunkenness and drugs and uh, he's apologetic and, and all of that. And I'm thinking like, if you can't go and find stories of people making mistakes and causing problems for themselves, how are you supposed to look at someone else who is doing that exact same thing in real life and be like, oh, this is related to this passage, this is related to this response, I was taught in the scripture to respond in this way, my community back home in my own church have told me that this situation is good for this scenario. like stories and narratives are a good place for you to be able to practice your thoughts towards these things because yeah, it's a safe it's environment. It's like how um, younger siblings usually learn from the mistakes of their older siblings. Yeah. 
and to know not what to do. Exactly. So it's in that same realm. You have these characters that are openly making mistakes, mm -hmm. and that's important. If you have a good show, if you have a good story, your protagonists are going to make mistakes all the time, and they're going to learn from those mistakes. Yeah. And I know personally, there have been shows that I watched growing up that because of the mistakes of the protagonists, I didn't make those mistakes growing up because I knew what would happen. Yeah. Next episode, we're going to go into the Cosby show, and I think we should go definitely into that some of that definitely. next time. I think another thing that shows give us besides mistakes to learn from is or are thought-provoking questions. And Merlin is also an example of that. Uh, for example, like we kind of brought up how the show has a lot of thematic things like the battle for good and evil and uh, an exploration of fate and relationships and love and forgiveness and authority and friendship and all of that i think i said friendship twice in there but that's fine <laughs> uh and like there's also aspects of like hate and fear with um uther especially in the early seasons but there's also some bigger questions like is it okay to lie to protect someone mm -hmm. or how do you deal with persecution and that comes those questions come from the fact that magic is illegal but Merlin <laughs> has magic mm -hmm. and that creates a lot of interesting situations and scenarios. Mm -hmm. Especially given how that's that magic is illegal. You'll be persecuted if you have magic. It sounds kind of familiar. There are certain places in the world that if you are Christian, you will be persecuted for it. So you have to practice your Christianity in private. Mm -hmm. And Merlin has to practice his magic in private where no one can see him. Well, and he also protects people with his magic or for another example uh in the episode the poisoned chalice merlin gets poisoned uh mm -hmm. protecting arthur surprise and <laughs> uh the poison has magic in it like it's bound together with magic and gaius realizes this he, gaius is the court physician if we haven't mentioned that already and he used to practice magic before it was made illegal and so he finally gets the antidote which is kind of the big plot element of the episode is whether or not they'll get the antidote in time or is Merlin gonna die in season one yeah <laughs> uh, and he's standing there and he goes oh no uh, since the poison was made with magic maybe the antidote needs to be made with magic too mm -hmm. and he has this moment where it's like is it okay to use magic to save this kid's life mm -hmm. or do I not use magic and so he gets uh, Gwen who's been helping him take care of Merlin this whole time to leave the room like to go fetch some water and he uses magic and that's how he heals Merlin and he doesn't tell anyone he he's lying to protect Merlin and to save him 
and is that wrong? Like, it's a really thought-provoking question there. Yeah. Can you think of any stories in the Bible where someone has had to lie to, to protect another? Uh, Rahab. <laughs> Can you go into that? Yeah. So, with Rahab, she lied to the people who came looking for the spies. Hmm. And why was that important? Well, because if the spies got caught, they would have died. And what were the spies there for? Uh, to investigate Jericho so they knew how to destroy it. Hmm. So they were acting out uh, in interest of God, but they were still, we still had someone lying to protect them. So that is an interesting question. And yeah. there's all the, all sorts of stuff like that all over Merlin, especially given things like, is it okay to kill to save another person? Mm-hmm. Is it okay to harm others? And I think Arthur deals with that the most in the show. Because Arthur, he doesn't have magic, but holy crap, is he good with a sword? <laughs> and, yeah. And so Arthur is sort of the other half of the coin for the show because sometimes you're following Merlin and his... They're literally called like two sides, sides of the same coin. Yeah. Merlin with his amazing magic abilities and his intuition and Arthur with his survival skills and sword talents. Swordsmanship, if you will. And you get some really nice scenes where Arthur is up against a massive force and he takes them down by himself just to protect someone or Merlin uses his magic to sneak into certain areas or take on a massive force himself. But neither of neither of them get to see each other sort of be their true selves. I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> I lost my train of thought right then and there. <laughs> but the fact is that they sacrifice each other, like not each other, they sacrifice for each other all the time. They use what they were born with. They use what they were given, the gifts that they were given to protect each other and others around them. And sometimes the way that magic is portrayed in Merlin kind of reminds me of spiritual gifts in some ways. Because you have a lot of things of people speaking in tongues. Uh, You have some some of them where people can kind of I've I've seen dream interpretation, but then I've also seen sometimes I've heard of a couple where there's like emotional reading, like you can read someone else's thoughts in a way through their emotions. So like those sort of gifts are pretty cool and they're kind of represented within Merlin. So it's just interesting where you have certain comparisons especially when it comes to legends versus the scriptures Mm -hmm. and so this topic is sort of all over the place but that's only because merlin represents a whole lot of what this show is about yeah and so you kind of have to take it out from all angles in order to properly cover it um, and in that same way it's why this episode is likely likely going to be much shorter than normal just because there's no real focus for it. Merlin itself is a show that if you're going to go and watch it, you have to make sure that you watch it from a standpoint of, I need to read it into its narrative. I need Uh to look into the characters. I need to know what I can learn from their actions, their mistakes. Yeah. Because there's so many times where, um, it's called like a foil Mm -hmm. when you have characters that contrast each other. And so they're set up specifically to contrast each other. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, like one of the examples would be like Spock and Dr. McCoy uh, from Star Trek if you guys don't recognize uh, the original series (laughs) Uh, there's multiple 
Star they have a Trek's. new one coming out soon. Star Trek Discovery. Oh, yeah. Uh, so there are multiple Star Treks, but from the original series, they're set up as a foil where Spock is the logical, quote unquote logical, uh, one who doesn't really rely on emotion, or at least he tries not to. Uh, and McCoy is like, why? <laughs> what are you doing? Like, do you not feel things? And is always pushing Spock to try and connect with his half-human side. And so, like, that foil aspect you see a lot in Merlin. Like, with the fact that Merlin is honestly fairly okay with the fact that he has to keep his magic a secret. Yeah. And almost every sorcerer that we run into is not. Yeah, they're confused by why he's okay with doing that. There's typically a conversation if the sorcerer, uh, the visiting sorcerer, finds out that Merlin has magic too, they're like, why? Like, yeah, they're like, why are you living in a castle that will kill you when they find out? Do you not understand that? And Merlin's like, I've heard this five other times, my guy. <laughs> You're know. the third one this week. Uh, it, other sorcerers aren't that common, but it makes it feel like it sometimes yeah. <laughs> with how they write the show every once in a while. Uh, but yeah, and the way that he uses his magic for others and the way that other sorcerers are like, no, I'm going to use my magic for myself and my own personal gain. It's like, actually, I kind of see why they made it illegal. And that kind of, honestly, I think, like I said, answers some questions about how people react to persecution because I think there can sometimes be like this bitterness towards the non-Christian population in areas. Yeah. And so you see that a lot with the sorcerers. <laughs> um, again, not a perfect parallel, kind of like how we were talking with Arthur and Jesus. Again, not a perfect parallel. We're not saying the sorcerers equaled Christians in the show. Uh, but it is interesting. That they're going through a lot of the things that Christians are going through right now. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least could going be through. going through, yeah. Well, they're all, like, I feel like if there's ever a point in time where Christians are at their peak in power and, like, right now we have, like, over 50% of the population is Christian across the planet, eventually we're going to go back down. Because I believe it was uh, a professor named Leandro here on campus who said, I prefer it when we're the underdogs. I feel like we are the strongest when there's very few of us. Mm -hmm. I prefer being the rebel. And that is kind of interesting because whenever it came to the time before the sorcerers were wiped out by Uther and his armies, the sorcerers were powerful, but apparently they got even more powerful when they were outcast because they just started growing in their faith. They started growing in their strength and power. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of what Christians do as well. Their passion for Christ becomes very, very impossible to calculate because they're forced to stay with them. Well, when something's illegal, the ones that hold on to it are the ones who actually care about it. Mm -hmm. So 
that whole thing, this, all of these different talking points, all of that is just kind of tying back to all of our main points from before that you need to be able to find these things whenever you're watching this sort of content. Even if you're watching something Christian, if you're watching like The Chosen, you should be able to look at that and relate it to the scripture itself because even the director of the show, Dallas Jenkins, is like, please don't take this as scripture. I am trying my best to do it as accurate as possible, but it's not going to be completely accurate, so please yeah. relate to the scripture. Always have critical thinking. Critical thinking is important. Use I feel like discernment. Oh gosh, discernment, collateral discernment. Because <laughs> like critical thinking is the primary purpose of this show. The, this show is meant to teach you critical thinking, because if you just look at every single thing, or at thing, least practice it. At least I don't know if it. we're teaching it. I think we're teaching it rather well, to be honest. Okay. Because the the thing is with it is that we are demonstrating here that every single piece of content in the world that is proven to not be inherently evil, that is not directly attempting to cause you to sin, that doesn't cause a temptation, given the 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 um, convictions and all of that. You can go into these things and you can get something completely edifying out of it as long as you are maintaining a mind that is towards Christ. If you are watching something and you get that little twitch that you're like, oh, I shouldn't be watching this and you keep on going, that's on you. But if you're watching something and you you feel like you're gonna be learning something from it, fantastic. Just because something has magic in it, just because there's somebody swearing, just because there's, let's say, I, I think we wanted to bring this up in the music video uh, topic, but we had brought it up before that in music videos we were saying that uh, if there was nudity it was wrong, and that's not entirely the case. There are pieces of art that have utilized nudity in such a way without showing it that shows something like serenity or purity because... A lot of classical art has nudity. Yes, because it's supposed to be showing the peak form. It's supposed to be showing that there is presence, and if we hadn't been exposed to sin, we likely would have seen nudity in the exact same way. So seeing stuff like that, being exposed to things that you're not used to be exposed used to being exposed to, it's challenging, but that's good. Being mm -hmm. challenged is good. You shouldn't I don't think it's good to live a life where you are completely comfortable. Yeah. Funny story to kind of drive home that point. Yeah. <laughs> I love uh, your stories. Hit it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, my school did junior senior banquets. Good old time. Instead of prom. Because <laughs> private Christian school. Heck yeah. Yeah. And uh, for my junior year, we were in charge of planning it for the seniors. That's kind of the tradition is the juniors plan it, throw it for the seniors. Awesome. <laughs> and... Uh, we got a hold of this couple that owns this building that's kind of like a castle looking thing. That's sick. Yeah, because we decided that our theme would be sort of like this fantasy, like medieval renaissance, Merlin. whatever. Not Merlin, <laughs> but like just those vibes. Yeah. Because like we said renaissance at first and then it ended up being like medieval question mark way better <laughs> like it was just a confusion of aesthetics but it had an aesthetic anyway <laughs> it was a lot of fun i mean it makes sense you had a king and queen of banquet so no we did not what <laughs> 
of all the banquets to not have a king and queen of the of the banquet, that's where you don't use that's it. That's a prom thing. Dear Lord. Okay, go on. Continue. <laughs> anyway. Uh, we ended up eating inside because of the weather. And even then, we would have used the indoor space. Yeah. And the couple had several paintings that were kind of in a classical style and they had women in them ah. uh, and so a few of the parents who were helping us set up because you know they drove us there since not everyone had driver's licenses yet uh, and you know we had a lot to carry and mm-hmm. all of that uh, and plus we need supervision because we're a gang of unruly teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a couple of the mothers <laughs> uh, took pieces of paper and uh, <laughs> positioned them over the paintings. Oh, because, sure, because that won't attract more attention to them. <laughs> because they were worried about uh, the young men <laughs> in our group that'll teach us (laughs) (laughs) self-control and i've always found that really funny because first off it was classical art like it would have been one thing if it was like you know uh, calendars yeah calendar art (laughs) Uh, or just (laughs) if it was anything else like we had seen classical art in school in textbooks yeah (laughs) <laughs> but they were worried about it and it was so funny and so like you were saying like context matters and like there are things that like okay like saying oh a painting of a nude woman mm-hmm. okay like in general not into that but like if I say oh a classical painting of a woman in a fancy building and she happens to be somewhat exposed you can glance over that a little bit more because usually there's a purpose behind it yeah um because a lot of the time uh it's to represent purity or uh vulnerability Mm -hmm. even and especially if it was romans or greeks where they just absolutely loved the human form usually the reason why they were naked was because they just they straight up were fascinated by the human body yeah and so sometimes it's just that's how they drew people Mm -hmm. um and so it's, I just love that story because they were like standing in the hallway for a good 10 minutes like, oh, what do they we do? Are they going to be offended if we cover it up? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they decided to uh, for one of the paintings just because like it was so obvious. It was like right next to where we were having dinner. But uh, they didn't for like one of the paintings that was. Uh, by the bathrooms and like the uh, woman was like smaller and it was like if it's smaller how does that make it better <laughs> <laughs> like size matters I, I don't I, the logic was so interesting yeah there are two other characters that I've I've kind of thought about because this is still an issue today with modern stuff where you have it's not just classical paintings that people are like oh my gosh because the the themes of purity and innocence aren't just in classical paintings um, in 
A movie called The Fifth Element. There's a character named Li Lu. She is a completely artificial woman who has a very young mind because, of course, she was just born. So she has no idea who she is, what she's about, or anything like that. She can barely even speak English. And she's completely unaware of what modesty is. And so most of the most of the film, there's kind of like this fun little thing where the protagonists are like, whoa, 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 no, no, cover up, cover up. Um, and it's, of course, you have certain scenes where you actually see some certain things, but they're not in a sexual sense. They're in a sense of she has no idea of the fact that she's naked. She has the same innocence as, let's say, Adam and Eve before the fall. Mm-hmm. So the scenes aren't used to be like, oh, here's here's some nice female take a look it's more here's a female that has no idea about the world around her and it's about and she's going to be corrupted and she does over the course of the film she gets exposed to everything that she shouldn't be exposed to like what is wrong with things what society believes is wrong and basically over the course of time experiences step by step the fall and eventually she's just not okay at the end of the film so her innocence gets destroyed by circumstances around her and in a i think in a, in a really good example aside from that the other character uh black widow she's not innocent she's aware that she's attractive but it's also a detriment in iron man 2 her character played by scarlett johansson um she has to change out from this like sort of formal outfit into her actual like spy suit which of course you know it's not very it's not it's not hiding anything but that's kind of part of the whole thing she's a she's a russian spy she's supposed to be distracting she's supposed to make men weak so that she could beat them up and it works every single time like over the course of the films that she's in she uses that to her advantage and there's one scene in iron man 2 where she has to change into that suit and she's in the back of this car while one of her compatriots are driving and he tries to look into the rear view to watch her change and she gets annoyed with that and says focus on the road she's annoyed that he's looking but she also understands that that's just the trade-off like that's that's part of her job so they didn't just use scarlett johansson because like oh here's a here's a really attractive female actress playing a really attractive female character it was kind of exposing the fact that black widow is supposed to be attractive for a reason it's part of how she grew up as being conditioned to be a spy as a little kid like they even exposed the fact that black widow along with the others that were trained to be like her they would even remove their their um reproductive yeah they would remove their reproductive systems so that they have no urge they have no desire and they have no capacity for that sort of thing so they are straight up just using their forms as a weapon and it's really cool but it's also really dark so I, that's that's my point there. There is such a capacity to tell important stories by using things that you would initially on the surface just be like, nope, that's not good. That's not good for me to look at. But then you have to remember the Bible has a lot of stuff that you would probably be like, whoa. <laughs> if the Bible was film, what would it be rated? What would what what film like what what would Song of Solomon be rated? <laughs> oh, there's way more questionable stuff than Song of Solomon. What would Second Kings, the end of it, be rated? <laughs> or like the end of Judges with the concubine. Or just I mean, Passion of the Christ, I'm pretty sure it was rated R. Yeah. Because they destroyed him in that film to be as accurate as possible. And most Christians can't watch it because it's so violent. I'm like, you signed up for this. You are literally described in the scripture exactly what happens to him. And you can't stand to watch it happen. Really? 
really he did that for you it's like i just that's why it's powerful i know but that's the thing i don't that's i understand if there are people that are squeamish about it but i i watched that scene because it it made me tear up because i'm like gosh he's doing that for me Mm-hmm. So it's like if you are incapable of watching these things, there are things that God could reveal to you through the things that you would be like, oh, no, that's just sin. That's all that is. It wouldn't be the first time that God has used some form of, like has allowed temptation to teach someone something. Let yeah. it be known with David. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like always, like as we say all the time, use discernment. Collateral discernment. <laughs> so we're not saying just go wild and watch all the things mm-hmm. um be smart about it yeah be smart about it because um, there are times when it's probably wise to cover up the naked paintings <laughs> mm-hmm. or just pick better paintings yeah pick <laughs> better paintings. there are a lot of paintings where the women are in very elegant dresses and not unclothed yeah um <laughs> renaissance paintings <laughs> the thing is that i think it was like a modern painting in the style of a classic one. That's fun. Yeah, at least I I have no idea. It was so funny though. <laughs> but yeah, whenever I go on these small little tangents, I'm not trying to tell everyone go out and just watch everything you possibly can. I believe I've said this before. I'm just saying. Is- <laughs> I'm just saying, be okay with sometimes going out and trying something new. Yeah. Because and if, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Because. Don't be comfortable. Being comfortable is the exact opposite of what we are called to do. Yeah, it being comfortable prevents you from growing. Exactly. And God uses a lot of uncomfortable situations to make you a stronger person. And that can include what you interact with. But otherwise, um, as usual, we went far off the track for what we were talking about for today's episode, but that's fine. Uh, Merlin is a fantastic show. If you ever get the interest to watch it, if you're ever wondering how you can take something like magic and make it into an actual like wholesome story about friendship and loyalty and fate and all these other things and John Hurt playing a dragon, then... It's so good. <laughs> he's so good. <laughs> Then feel free to go and watch it. It's on Netflix right now. It's so worth the watch. Uh, I I would definitely binge it if I had the opportunity to. Yeah. I think it's a really good example of, like Austin was saying, friendship and loyalty and exploring fate. And we got into a lot of different things on it. But I think Merlin is honestly just a good show for making you smile um and so i think that's overall why i would recommend it so uh yes go into it with critical thinking but also if you just need something to make you smile also watch merlin for that yeah because believe it or not it is a comedy (laughs) we probably made it sound kind of dark it's like like an action comedy yeah it's a good show there's a couple times where merlin wakes up in the horse stalls it's yeah. unfortunate. <laughs> and I think part of that is just like people don't see Merlin as a threat, mm-hmm. uh, even though he's aware of everything. Yeah. Uh, just because of the position he's in. And so that leads to a lot of comedy. Yeah. So definitely a good way to good way to summarize it just as an action comedy. But otherwise, we're going to wrap up this episode there. So we hope you guys uh, enjoyed this, uh, a little bit of a dive into some of the deeper 
things that we usually think about when it comes to these episodes but never get to really put to words um stay tuned for next week because now we're going into the realm of sitcoms into a very these days controversial show the cosby show dun, dun, dun. Uh, so look <laughs> forward to that because it was one of my favorite shows growing up and it's still one of my favorite shows to this day and we're gonna have some very interesting subjects to explore on that front so stay tuned for that farewell 